Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is Stephen Doyle Jr. Steve is a recovering engineer who is dedicated to elevating the growth of business owners and executives in the commercial construction industry. He's a coach slash consultant, and we'll talk more about that differentiation, focused in the commercial space, uh, operations and leadership specifically, and a fellow Blue Collar podcaster with his podcast, Blue Collar BS Podcast. Uh, With all that said, Steve, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Thanks, Will. Appreciate being here. We've had some awesome conversations, and you're going to find uh, that just like me, I, we've got that visionary aspect to us, and we forget mid-sentence what we were talking about. So <laughs> I, have, I have full confidence that it's going to happen sometime during this episode. So listeners, Absolutely. be prepared to not exactly know what's happening in mid-sentence stop. And then, uh, yeah, it's it's just normal. It's just part of the programming today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right, today so- it is. <laughs> just today all right so tell us uh steve tell us about your origin story you know what your background how'd you get into uh commercial uh construction as well as uh coaching consulting and then uh, the podcast we want to know about that too yeah awesome well so how my journey started is um i've been in the i'm a recovering engineer just like uh, justin mentioned uh was in an engineering uh executive role for almost 20 years uh, they hired me prior to graduating college, worked up through the ranks, paid for my undergrad. I My degree is actually a metallurgical engineer, and most people have no clue what it is. Uh, how I describe it is it is solid state chemistry. So think of a chemical engineer just dealing with solid materials. So spent 20 years doing that, traveling the world, working, going in foundries, forging facilities, um, helping them improve process helping them improve quality. Um, And that led to the opportunity for me to say after 20 years and pondering and going through my midlife crisis at 39 going, I don't want to do this anymore. And that led to branching off on my own, uh, focused on starting a coaching and consulting company that uh, focuses on um, the operation side and the leadership side of businesses. And we found that commercial construction was very similar to the manufacturing world I came out of, of the commercial manufacturing world, um, just with the need of having systems, having a repeatable process in place that typically uh, most people are running off of their yellow sheets and notepads and just figuring it out. Uh, they, I liken that process to the struggle bus and the struggle bus today has triangle wheels. 
And as you start gaining momentum and rounding those corners off on the triangles, let's stop and put new tires on new triangles and let's keep going. So what we do um, with our business is we actually help business owners in the commercial construction space actually start driving the right bus. We get the right people on the bus, get the right systems in place. So we talk people, we have systems, and then we focus on the tech after that. So those, those are the fun things. And then that branched off into having a podcast called the Blue Collar BS Podcast, where we talk about the generational differences and why we can't find good help in the blue collar space and how uh, it's mostly mindset across the generations that if we're stuck in our old ways, we are never going to find the right good people. Love that. That's amazing. So, yeah. So when we uh, when we think about, you mentioned all three, you said systems, but that's process uh, in our eyes, certainly. So people process technology, uh, rank those for me. What yep. What's most important when in regards to scaling a business? So my opinion, it's people, process, and then tech. Because if we don't have the right people, I don't care if you got the best tech in the world and you got the best systems. If you've got shitty people in your in your place, you got them on the wrong seats, you ain't going to get nothing done. You're going to be constantly fighting with your teams and you're going to be overwhelmed as an owner or as a leader because you don't have the right people. So guess who it falls on to, to, to fix all of that? The leaders and the owners. And so you're constantly through people until you get the right people. And then you might get a shining star on your team. And you're like, wow, this person is doing X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Like they're doing everything. And then they leave. And now you have no idea what's going on because you didn't treat the people right because they were overwhelmed and they're overloaded. But they saw that you had the right tech and they had the right process. So for me, that's why people are number one. If we treat the people right, they will help figure out the right process. Then they'll want the tech to go along with it to make their lives easier. And so you can then cycle through. So that's why for me, people's number one. Process, if you if you have the right people and you have tech, but you have no process, nothing's repeatable. So you don't have the right systems in place. So if I don't have a repeatable system that I can consistently do, I don't care what the tech stands with. The tech is there. It's useless. It just sits there. And because nobody knows how to use the tech. So if I got the right, so if I got the right people and I got the right process, tech becomes easy. But that's where most people hmm. kind of flounder from what I've seen. Well, it's a great explanation. Sense. Yeah, uh, it's a great explanation of missing one of those pieces, what what happens. So I want to ask something um, because we talked about it right in the beginning, uh, the difference yep. between coaching and consulting. And can you give the yeah. story behind behind that? Because that was I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, so let's see if I can remember how I described it in the beginning. <laughs> so oh, when we first visionary, uh, vi visionary, forget right there. First time <laughs> you're right there. All right. So already on number one. So what were you talking about? Anyways? <laughs> so for, <laughs> difference between coaching and consulting, most people have the misconception of coaching. So when they talk to, you know, any one of us that are focused more on operations, focus more on business, but they hear the word coach, what do they think of in, from a contextual standpoint, when they hear the word coach, what have you guys run up against? Life coach. When you, when you, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's yep. one of the major ones. Life coach. And then you yeah. got the coach, like, you know, bears coach, you know, et cetera. 
who needs to be probably replaced. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bears fans. You you think you think of a guide effectively. That's kind of where I chalk it up to be. Uh, a coach is a guide. Okay. It's not necessarily a player that does things. It's more somebody that just yep. says, "Hey, do it this way," or "Try to try it to do it this way." Uh, is a, a good way I think as a coach. Okay. So how it came across? So I'm out in Michigan. So how it comes across in Michigan for coaching is just like Will said, coaches are viewed as you're a life coach, you're a career coach and everybody, you know, doesn't matter like a business coach. People don't understand what that is. So coming out of manufacturing, you hire a lot of consultants. Mm -hmm. So when we get down into what is really the difference between a coach and a consultant. So like in that, so let's say you want to hire a coach to take you fishing or you want to hire someone to take you fishing. And you have the option between a life coach or not a life coach, sorry, just a coach versus a consultant. And the consultant, you call the consultant up and they're like, okay, how, what kind of, like, what do you want to fish for? Okay. Awesome. You want to fish for, let's say you want to go salmon fishing or walleye fishing, whatever it is. Let's, let's go salmon fishing. All right. We want to go salmon fishing. We're going to bring all the lures. We're going to bring everything. We're going to catch 50 pounds of salmon and you're going to pass this. This is what we're going to do. All you got to do is just get on the boat, sit there. And we'll hook everything up. We'll land. The, we'll hook the fish on. You just got to reel it in. That's all you got to do, right? So they're going to bring you what you've just asked. You've asked to go salmon fishing. You're not asking about the experience. You're not asking about the journey. You want to go salmon fishing. You want to catch your limit. Perfect. Get on the boat. Let's go. We've got all the tools, everything to go. You have a, you have a great time. You catch your limit, and then you're gone. Awesome. Well, a coach. If you hired a coach to take you fishing. Guess what the coach is going to do differently than the consultant? The coach you're is going to learn how to make a hook, a, a line. How do you put the line on the hook? And you're you going to learn exactly. So you're going to learn a lot more about how to fish for salmon. You're going to still catch salmon. You may or may not catch your limit, but it's no longer about the specific quantity in the time frame that you want. It's about how do we do it, and it's more about the journey of getting there where you are going through more of a life-changing transformation of how do I actually do the work to run my business and have a guide, a.k.a. a Sherpa, if you will, help guide you along to show you the way and show you, hey, you may get hung up here. You may get hung up here. These are things to watch out for. But the one main thing a coach will not do is tell you, you should do X, you should do Y, you should do Z. A coach, and the better coaches, will help guide and frame you around a way to go. But the stepping stones you take are clearly your own. They're there to you know, ask for guidance. Hey, if I did this, what could potentially be a, a, a pitfall or an outcome? Or, hey, I need some training. Okay, training is different than consulting. So they'll provide a little bit of training on that. The whole point is the difference between the coach and the consultant. The coach is going to teach you and show you so you can actually go fish for yourself. Versus a consultant, you it's you just get on the boat, you get off the boat, and here's your fish. So you so, don't really have that expertise to actually go fish on your own. So in the business world, and I know I've said this multiple times on previous podcasts, mm -hmm. we want the consultant because do what you do best and outsource the rest. Correct. I definitely have said that. Okay. To a point. Okay. Well, then there yep, you go. To a point. All that's going through my brain is 
Yoda is a coach. Han Solo is a consultant. Like, because he gets things <laughs> done, and Yoda just says, hey, you should think about the Force this way, like, kind of a thing. So mm-hmm. uh, that's what my brain's going. I'm not even that big of a Star Wars uh, nerd. So, uh, Dude, you're like, that. Just, you know, I mean, if I shot my screen up, you would actually see a Darth Vader bust. You would probably see a Grogu bust. <laughs> There's awesome. a droid over there. That's awesome. <laughs> so now we're speaking my language. <laughs> All right. Well, you can use that but, one. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 that's a gimme uh, from, from building scale right? to you. So that's a gift. We usually don't give out gifts, awesome. but today uh, is a gift. Uh, today, we're, we're, feel, we're feeling very good. Day. Yes. Awesome. So uh, yeah. when we, so you get, if you, if you can get a, a coach or a consultant, uh, depending on what you're looking for in your specific situation. Uh, I think that you you still uh, fall into pro- processes or systems. You'd mentioned this earlier, right? Like uh, a coach that yes. um, is installing the I- ideology in comparison to somebody that's just saying, no, I'm going to put this in place. For you. Like, I, like this is like the ideology yeah. of it in comparison to, hey, like this is what I'm going to build for you. Like you are, this is the result you get. So when Correct. you when you think about business processes and systems like that, what are what are some of those that you've used? What are some that you uh, have t- taken ideas from? What are some just kind of like management systems that you you have seen work? Right. I mean, that's at the end of the day, it's like it's got to work, and if it doesn't work, then it doesn't right. really matter. Yeah. So from a from a let's talk theory first from a system standpoint. So sure. coming out of manufacturing. Most manufacturing has adapted like the Toyota way. So you've got series of processes, you got a series of work instructions, flow charts, diagrams, and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's great in a larger scale company that actually understands that stuff. As we're talking with younger, and I won't say younger, let's pause right there. So as we're talking about with, I would say, more infantile businesses that are more in their infancy state, they're not traditionally thinking of those types of heavy systems that come out of, you know, true manufacturing that, that are repeatable. You start tracking tech times, you're holding people accountable for their entire system. So what do we, what do they turn to? They turn to like the Rockefeller habits. They'll turn to EOS where Mm -hmm. they're all a composite of each other. They're all and when you really look at it and you line them side by side, a lot of the same concepts are in each one. They all call them something different. There are, um, EOS does a great job for, I would say, making it very relatable to the common individual. Mm-hmm. And then you get into more like the Rockefeller habits, which very similar, just a little more technical in what they call stuff. So comprehension from a E standpoint takes a little longer. Then you get into more of the heavy lifting, the Toyota way, things like that. Again, the concepts, very similar on a technicality scale of how they describe stuff a lot more technical than the Rockefeller habits or EOS. All of them from a system standpoint of how we can put, let's whether it's a system that's tech related or it's paper related, whatever it is, it's how can we do things that in a repeatable way day in, day out so that it makes our job a lot easier. But what it also does is it makes training the next person easier so that when somebody new comes in, as you start growing out of that role and into a new role, it's easier to replace you. And that's what you want as a business. You want to have people start doing this work so you don't have to do this work, but so that it's repeatable. You got consistency. You have quality with that. And that 
if you're right, your, your process is simple as, as possible so that anyone can comprehend it. Now you have a system that everyone can help you with and scale. And as a business owner, most of us are in business to scale and make money, a legacy for whether it's our family or for ourselves or doing other things. How can we scale so that we're not working in our business, we're working on our business? And as a business owner, that's what we want to get to. But we can't get there if we don't have the right people, we don't have processes in place, and we don't have the tech to support us. So you mentioned right people. Uh, right people, right seed is a very, I think it's just a common term just in general, but certainly in the US, yep. a very common term. Yeah. Uh, how, how I mean, you have a podcast about uh, you know people needing jobs, to generational differences there. Uh, so how do you get the yeah. right people in the right seats? A lot of it starts stemming with, and you, most people don't think about this, but it really starts in your marketing. And it's marketing with how your company is viewed externally is the first start. But then there's also the second start is internally. Because most small businesses the owners start gravitating towards who they know. And if people start knowing them as a jerk, an ass, or even their company is kind of like toxic, nobody wants to refer people in. So from a marketing standpoint, we have to change our marketing to each other, how we talk to each other, our culture as it is internally, because ultimately we want to be working with people that we like, people that we know, people that we trust. So if we're constantly having infighting, why would people want to work there? We hire somebody in, they go through, they interview, they meet different people and everybody's like down and down and, and, you know, you start overhearing conversations like what's going on, right? That internal marketing, how we market to each other, how we talk to each other. It's number one. And then the X component, which I kind of mix these up, but the external component, what do people actually see when they look you up? Some companies some of the companies that I work with, you don't find anything. So people don't know you exist. So you put a job out there and people are like, okay, they want social proof. What is this company like? And there's nothing out there. So again, how hard is that? Then we get into the, once you address the culture standpoint, the marketing standpoint of how we talk, how we communicate with each other and the culture, then it becomes mindset. So we talk a lot on our podcast um, about how we can't find good people and how from a generation standpoint. So I'm a Gen X, um, kind of like one of the younger Gen Xs. Um, some of the older Gen Xs and the boomers are so stuck in some of their ways. Like I've always done it this way. I want to have people, my job is going to be in person. They're going to work from eight to four, no matter what, no, you know, and have their, you know, hour lunch. But you have to be here between eight and four. Unfortunately, the younger generation, when they see that, okay, fine. But at one o'clock, I'm done with all my work. Why do I need to stay till four? I'm ready to book out and you have nothing else. So you want me to sit here and make construction noises for the next three hours? Okay. Like I'm really struggling with why I got to sit here and make construction noises and not do anything. Like I'm done. I'm out. So, and we're talking more office jobs. Now, obviously when you're working in the field, we have, a, we, we have the, we all, we actually, the most of my companies don't have the struggle to find general laborers and those doing the actual physical work because of how we've kind of changed the, the culture inside and then how it's viewed outside. But 
when we first start working together, um, a lot of the times it's the, you know, there is some of the hazing that goes on and, you know, we have to be mindful with the younger generation that their skin is a little thinner, how they think and how they were brought up. The, um, the misconceptions of what is common sense, um, common sense to you and I probably totally different common sense to the younger generation, the gen alphas and the, the millennials. Um, yeah, you would say they have no common sense. Why is that? Because of how they were brought up. So, <laughs> so we get into all of those things about why we can't find good people. Cause when they show up, they're like, um, yeah, my mom didn't prepare me for this. Uh, I'm going to go home because I can't deal with going to find the, um, the cord stretcher and everybody laughing at me because the cord stretcher actually doesn't exist. I can't handle that today. Yeah. It just doesn't work in the construction industry. You're going to have to have a little thicker skin. <laughs> so, so yeah, those are the kind of like the main, the main themes around what it is when we're trying to find those, those good people. Uh, and just for clarity, just for clarity's sake, what size of companies do you work with? Like give us the range. So typically the companies that I work with are a million plus. So million in revenue um, is what I'm looking for. When I'm working with a company, profit size doesn't matter the because we will figure out real quickly that we will scale the profit. So I'm just looking at a million plus in revenue. Typically, you're around five plus employees. Um, the better companies are making on a revenue perspective, 300,000 plus per employee. So we're kind of looking in those ranges. So if you have 10 employees and your, your net revenue is 3 million, okay, you're doing pretty good. Um, if you've got 10 employees and your net revenue is, 10, is is 1 million, all right, we've got some work to do. So those are more like the ideal, like I got a range that I'm actually looking for from an ideal standpoint. When you say net what revenue, fun is, real quick, when, you say net re when you're saying net revenue, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page here. We're talking about yep. after cost of goods sold, like contribution margin. That's what we're talking about, not gross um, revenues. Yeah, we're not talking gross revenues. And we're not, I mean, we're talking, when we're talking revenue, we're not taught, we're talking, you still have like your operating costs still to pay for. Right. So we're going to get into like our net, pro, like our gross profit, like our pure profit after that. Okay. So we're talking about, let's say you're projected, like on a job, let's say you have a, a million dollar job. Right. And most people are going to target around, for some dumbass reason, they put on, okay, I'm going to make 5% profit on this. Oof. Okay. You're an idiot. We're targeting, like my, my clients are now targeting between 25 to 30% uh, pure profit on those jobs. So if you have a million dollar job, it is intended to make 300,000 profit cash in your hand. And we show you how to do that with the right process and the right people. Okay. <laughs> okay. You've got and your clients. So it's no joke. Know, we we do that. And I know you've worked yeah. with clients that are that range. There's you've got a pretty wide range of clients that you work with. There's the typical, and then you've got right. like, all the way to like hundreds of millions. I think is what you said. Is that correct? A couple. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A couple. Yeah. They're so, they're kind of larger automotive companies. So yes. <laughs> okay. So then I have to ask. Are there any problems yeah. that exist regardless of size? 
yeah, most of the stuff we're talking about. <laughs> the size doesn't matter. It's the size doesn't matter. The problem is, is people and their perceptions of how they need to handle things. And typically it's getting in there, you know, the, the, the mindset of getting in their own way for some, for those of us that came out of corporate, usually we, we have a, we all have similar backgrounds where there's a reason why we, why we have left. And it's usually a disagreement or a, a different, a shifting in values of why we've left. So regardless of why the, the problems that people have, they always are going to have people problems. They're always going to have trust problems. They're always going to have process problems. And typically, because there's people problems, there's process problems, there's tech problems. Those three things, that triangle always exists, regardless of company. You think of a startup company. Startup company doesn't have the money for tech. They've got one person, maybe two or three, right? They're trying to figure out their processes, but they don't have the funds to help pay for it. So now they're struggling to figure this out. So as they're growing and they're getting, let's say we're, we're all coaches here, coaches and mm -hmm. consultants. So mm -hmm. as we're growing, right, we've all, we've all been there. We've all stumbled over the rocks as we're growing and scaling. We've got the right people. We got the right mindset. We're missing process and we're missing tech. We know we want to get there. So we need funds to do that. So the process then is what we focus on is the process of lead gen. How are we getting people in? Then? How are we getting our leads in? How are we cycling through those leads? How are we doing that? Then we find out, oh, these aren't the right people I want to work with. So let's ship markets, <laughs> right? It happens in the blue collar space. It happens in the trade space as well, like with our business owners. Like which market do you want to serve? Usually the first market that we serve, it's the spaghetti method. Let's throw the shit at the wall. Whoever sticks, that's who I'm running with. Then as we mature in our business, because we've learned a couple things, we've changed our process of who we want to work with, how we want to work with them. We start adapting that and things start to move because our process is there. Now we can afford the upgraded tech. Now we need new people. Now we've got to change our process. Now we've got to upgrade our tech. And the cycle just continues. So it doesn't matter the size of your business. That circle, that triangle, if you will, is going to be continuous. It's a continuous loop that you have. So it's great from a coach consultant standpoint because we're always going to have work. And no, chat GPT can't take our work. You can ask questions, <laughs> but it's not going to take our work. Because <laughs> ChatGPT uh, ain't going to implement shit for you. <laughs> that's uh, uh, you, you put a good point there in regards to the spaghetti method. Um, well, you know, whatever sticks, let's just run with it, which right. can uh, not always, certainly, but uh, a lot of times you'll find that like <laughs> the things that stick are easily stuck are maybe not the best things to then take, right? It, it doesn't yes. work like spaghetti works, certainly. We've seen this internally at Spot where it's like, hey, like, you know, we'll just, anybody that has a computer, we're interested in making sure your cyber is good, right? But it's like, in reality, mm -hmm. when we decided like, no, we need to be, we need to be focused. We need to niche down into like people that like to do business with us, uh, that we can just support mm -hmm. the best and like have the largest impact. So then when we, we dove into construction and AEC space, it was like, it was a match made in heaven, even though like the spaghetti test in the beginning didn't prove that to be true, but uh, test with data and like, you know, as you go through business, you start uh -huh. learning like, oh yeah, like when you niche down right. to the right, the right niche, 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 mm -hmm. whichever you want to say, yeah, that is <laughs> when uh, that leverage can happen at a, at a, you know, scale. And we talk about scale. It's like, that's a, that's a tool in the scale 
uh, operation scale box or the process scale box. Right. And the best part about niching down, you don't have to stick with that niche. Once you start nailing that niche market in what and the information you're conveying, how you're marketing your message out, it starts resonating with other people that are kind of on the fringes. And they're going to, they come back and they're like, so I see you do that with X, right? So for you guys, like I see, I see you guys do that with HVAC companies. Well, can you do that for commercial construction GCs? Be like, yeah, it's no damn different. It's same thing. It's just, this is our market, but you want to, we're going to run you through the same process. We have processes set up. This is how we're going to work. This is the team that's going to help you. Boom, boom, boom. This is X, Y, and Z. Then it starts relating. And now you can actually start serving more. Why? Because your message is clear on how and who you are helping. It's great. Hmm. And you do, and most of the time, who you're working with or who hires you is usually the owners or the principals, maybe senior management. Yes. Right. Okay. So yeah. So it, it just depends on what what I'm offering to them. Okay. So um, if I'm offering like training, it might be a senior manager. Um, but if it's the consulting side where you're actually bringing like an operating system in place, yeah, it's always on. Hey, everybody. Justin here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As you know, Will and I are business nerds and love talking to leaders who've scaled their businesses using people, process, and technology. If that's something that gets you all jazzed up too, then do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit the little bell so you get notified every time we drop a sweet new episode. And if you know somebody who'd be an awesome guest on the show, send them our way. Just go to buildandscale.net slash guest. Now, back to the episode. How often do you have to deal with arrogance? Because let's, let's be honest here. Okay. My arrogance or their arrogance? Because I'm an arrogant dick. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was more specific to them, but, you know, we could blanket state with that. Right? I mean, there's a certain arrogance we all have. But in, when we have the same understanding, the arrogance kind of goes away. We focus on what is the task at hand. Arrogance comes about with emotions. Um, so as soon as we can strip away those emotions and just focus on what is either the task, the problem, what is it we're trying to solve together, the arrogance pretty much bleeds away. It's always still there once the emotions start kicking back in, like something didn't hit a timeline or you're expecting something from someone and they didn't deliver. So you kind of get more on the offensive. Um, be a little bit more aggressive with, hey, your timelines and your ask, like, hey, these these things need to be done. I'm counting on you to do it. It's not getting done. That's when you start getting the arrogance back after the after the initial call. Like once once all your contracts are signed, the kind of arrogance goes away unless you don't deliver and then it comes right back. So uh, always deliver. <laughs> just just shut up and do your job. Just do something. <laughs> uh, well, uh, thank you. Yes. Uh, but, and the reluctance to change, you talked about it across the sort of all the all the different generations. But I would suspect that ownership is really hard because they've been running the business for, well, the longest, right? At least mm-hmm. from their perspective. Right. Yep. So how do you deal with them? Uh, and, and I think the owners that are listening should maybe pay attention here for a second. Um, yeah, because do they don't a, know what they're they're doing. Sometimes 
Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? No, I mean, we all run through that. Even, even us in our own business, we have our own arrogance and our own resistance to change. And so um, when we talk about that resistance to change, we have to help them. We have to want to understand why they are resistant to change. If we can understand like the why, their why on what is really preventing them from change and then kind of show them the next steps, they some of the ones that are very strong-willed and those that want to always have the idea, like I'm the man, I want to have the solution, the answer all the time. It's going to take the, the duration of, and you're not really convincing them, you're showing them a different way. They have to buy into it because just like, I'm just going to say it just like with my wife. <laughs> I can't convince her to do something. She has to be, she's going to make up her mind all on her own. Like either I'm going to do this or not going to do this. So I can just show her, Hey, I'm going to go do this. You're welcome to come along. Yeah. I've been married for 23 years. It works. You're <laughs> So again, we can go have fun and we can go do this or you can sit at home and wonder what I'm going to go do. So why don't you just come along and let's go have fun. But, you know, that's just stupid, silly example. But when we're talking like a business owner, so let's talk, let's talk operating systems. And you, you, when I'm working with a client and they're evaluating their current operating system, like, Hey, is this actually working? Where are all the pain points? Um, so pain points could be like in a construction management system, pain points with the field team, not, not doing their dailies, not reviewing stuff, not putting in change orders, not doing things like that. I'm reviewing the accounting team. So how well is accounting integrating into this? Are we processing all the invoices, all the payments at the same time? Chances are we're not. So now we have a lot of frustration and I'm finding out what, what is all this frustration? I'm sitting down and interviewing the owner. Like, what is your main frustration with the system you have? And typically it's, well, my field team isn't doing what they need to do. I can't convince them to do it simpler. Um, I have nobody in here to count on that can actually run this system internally. And my accounting team, I can't get, I can't see, you know, from a whole project perspective over the, over the year, where am I at financially? I, I just get a number out of QuickBooks and Hey, I either go into the bank and yeah, there's money in the bank account or no, there's not. Okay. I got a bill, 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 bill. Now I've got money in the bank. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, it's all gone because of all these jobs, but I don't have a reoccurring dashboard, if you will. So mm -hmm. I now have a broken system in place, and my people aren't using it. So I'm frustrated. Okay, great. So how much are we paying for this? Great. We're paying, let's just, let's just 10 grand. Perfect. Hey, I want to look at something that will ease your pain with your field team. Going to ease your pain with your accounting team. Going to ease your pain with your estimating team. But that's going to cost you 75 grand a year to do versus 10 grand a year. What? I, I don't have that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that because it's not in my budget. It's like, wait, do you actually have a budget? Well, no, I'm just not going to spend it. I don't want to spend it. I want that money. Got it. Got it. Okay. So we're going to have a discussion about $65,000. Are you tired of your field team not doing their job? Yes. And how much time is that spending of your time where you're listening to all their bullshit? You're dealing with all their frustrations. You're constantly having to go out there and review everything because nobody's updating in the system. How much time is that taking? Well, it's taking 20 hours a week. Great. So what's your bill rate? Uh, I'm the owner. I just take whatever I want. Great. So your bill rate's 200 bucks an hour. I don't care what it is, but it could be $200 an hour. 
could be 150, could be 100, doesn't matter. So $20 or 20 hours times 200. Great, we're at 4,000. Awesome. You do that in a day, right? Perfect. So, or, or a week. Great. So uh, $4,000 a week. Great. Just, just on your operations team. Great. So your accounting team, how many, how many hours do you spend with them? Well, 10 hours trying to figure out where all my budgets are every single week. Great. So another, another um, 10 grand. hours, another three grand, right? Whatever. Right. Okay. So we're at seven grand, two grand. So we're at seven grand or six grand or wait, no, three and five, five yep. grand, three and two, five. I can't add. I'm from Michigan. Great. So five grand, five grand a week you're spending in downtime. You're pissing five grand away. So you're just taking five grand out of your pocket. Go over there with your cigarette, freaking light that money on fire with your cigarette. And I want you to throw it on the ground, watch it burn. Okay. Every week, that's what you're doing. So you're telling me you can't spend in however many months it is to figure out how in, in like 11 or 11 weeks. So three months, you're willing to piss that money away and not upgrade your system and continue on with your frustration versus in three in, in those same three the, those same three months we can actually start to implement and actually show you progress on how we're going to do that does that sound like a better use of your time so you're going to get 30 hours a week back you're no longer going to piss 5 5 grand a week away is that a better use of your time and money or do you want to just continue shoving that money right at the end of your cigarette burning that thing away how do you want to deal with that and the answer is most of them start cringing because I'm t I literally will talk to them in this way. Very, very direct, very matter of fact, hitting them right in their pocketbook because that's typically what most of the owners I deal with. That's what they want. They want that money. They want that freedom. But they're so busy focused on the task at hand that they can solve these problems and they're so busy in the chaos driving their struggle bus that they can't pull their heads out of the weeds and go out of the, the muck and the stuff they're in to actually look at Oh shit, there's actually, I could actually save money by not pissing all of this stuff away. Because after three months, the, if I spend that over the next three months that I'm pissing away, now for the next nine months, I'm recouping those savings of my time so I can actually do other things. I can do the things I want to do and need to do for my business. I'm no longer working in my business, I'm working on my business. Weird. And that's what we as coaches and consultants offer to the business owners. Stop working in your business, start working on your business and hire those people that know how the fuck to help you out. <laughs> I love the passion. I love the passion and the rawness and realness uh, of, of how these conversations go. It, also, apparently Michigan, a lot of smokers uh, still, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> especially so, in commercial construction. So, yes. So uh, we we frequently talk about investing uh, for us in technology, uh, mm -hmm. but you can certainly invest in hiring. You can certainly invest in processes. You certainly can invest in stuff into your business. And I think that it is that it is an investment and not a cost center. How do you, so other than your uh, telling them, hey, just go burn your money. How do you get them to believe that it is actually an investment in comparison to Shit, that's 65 additional grand. So the easiest way to do this isn't to convince them. It's actually to get other members of the team on board and have them start talking about it and generating excitement about that. So if you can get the field team on board to show them, hey, this is what we're currently working on and sit there and have demos with them. 
have them talk to it. The owners go and talk to these guys to figure out, hey, is this shit or not? So what we really want to do is we want to help build that momentum, build that bridge with with the with the teams. So focus on like the for me, it's focus on the field teams first and show them that things are going to get easier. Yes, it's a new tech to learn. Yes, they're not tech savvy. They like to use things on their phone. But now I can now we can actually start bringing them tech now. So most of the most of the people that I'm working with. So right now we're working on a Procore implementation with one client. So we are actually bringing them instead of, you know, they don't want to work on their computers because their computers aren't cellular. They tie into a Wi-Fi. They don't want to work on their phone. So now we're actually going to start bringing them cellular tablets that they can actually walk around with, you know, top end mm-hmm. tablets that they can walk around with and actually do everything. They get on the, get on their tablets, look at the annotations on the drawings and actually start marking things up, have interactions right there um, with the different team members, put all their photos right in the one system. Absolutely great. So the team members are actually excited for this transition to happen because now they're actually using several different pieces of technology because the process that is in place the, the tech wasn't there, but the process was there. So we had different, we were kind of band-aiding things from a cost standpoint until we could actually afford things. But again, we had to change our process so that we actually started making money so that we could actually start affording the tech because we have the right people. We adjust the processes. Now we need the tech. All right. So again, let's circle back. The converting the people inside the business. So I've Mm -hmm. focused on the tech, the the field guys. Then I focus on, we had accounting people. So then we focus on the accounting teams. How can I help them with the mundane tasks that they have? Because some of it's mundane. How can I help them speed things up so that they're not doing duplicate, triplicate entries and stuff and it's single point of entry. For them, this is like earth shattering. Like, you mean there's actually a system and a way to do this? Yes. So they're anticipating antsy. And now all of that talk about that, the owners are hearing that. The owners are getting excited because the team's excited. The owners are never going to use this. But if the team's engaged and the team is excited for change, which is hard to get a team excited for change because we're change adverse. So how we get excited for change is getting everybody on board. Okay. And yes. Wait. Hold on. Hold on. I want to yes. pause there for, for a pause second. Pause there. All right. All right. So technology, right? So you talked about kind of the f- first two parts, but then there's the investment in technology, but the industry has been burned like multiple times over around investing in technology, right? And, yeah. and essentially the answer back is, well, why spend more on technology when my guys can still swing hammers, right? Or pour concrete yeah. or, or whatever it is, right? They can still, still do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, there's fears around, you know, the changes around technology. Kind of like what you said. How do you deal with that? So one of the things that we've taken on board with the technology is, yes, we can swing hammers. We can do all of that. Technology is a is an aid and it's a tool while we're on the job site. So, yes, we can swing hammers. As you as the owner, when you were swinging the hammer, you were always on the job site, right? Usually the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Now, as you're growing, you put teams in place. You can no longer be at the job sites. So do you want to go to the job sites every single day? Every single day, all you're doing is driving around from job site to job site. That's what your job is now because you don't trust your team or you don't have the ability to actually see what's going on on a job site. So that was done without tech because that's typically what you're doing. 
Yes. Now we've got these, now we've got these cool phones that you can actually do a, you can FaceTime or you can do a video meeting where you can actually do a virtual meeting and walk around and go, Oh yeah, check that out. Sweet. Until the owner of the project says you're not doing your job and I'm going to sue your ass. Then what happens? Now you're scrambling around in your text messages, looking for any photos that show anything that could resemble what, actually was done on the job site no but you don't have that damn Hmm. i'm glad you had i'm 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 glad you could do everything with you know pounding and driving pouring concrete and all that shit but you know you probably missed a drain tile didn't you oh you don't have any photos rip that shit out rip that shit out i want it ripped out i don't trust you you don't have any photos didn't get it inspected damn i don't know what to tell you man Hmm. oh that footing you didn't you didn't uh, didn't take a photo of that. You didn't measure it. Hmm. Hmm. I bet you if I excavate over there, it's only two foot. Should be four. Hmm. Oh, you don't have any photos. Don't have any documentation. Fuck. Wow. It's gonna be expensive. Sounds like a forty-five forty-five thousand dollar pain in your ass. And this is how rework happens. Absolutely, a thousand times over. So tech is there as a tool to help you in your business. It's unfortunately viewed as a as a cost to you that you don't really realize until you've been in a lawsuit and going, wow, if only I had something to document all of that. Yeah, I could do it low tech way. Just have my guy send me a bunch of photos, throw it in a Google Drive folder and keep it there. Mm, yeah, that, that is a way to do it. That is your low tech way to do this. Unfortunately. That takes time. That time for you to, to do that and then go search for everything takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. There are new systems out there that actually help support that so that you can do and interact with that. Your team can interact with that. And your architects, your engineers, your subcontractors, if you have subs, your office staff, everybody can interact and engage with the right tech. So, yeah, you can operate without tech, but you're an idiot for doing it. You're doing it the hard way. Let's get back on that struggle bus. Get those triangle tires sharpened right up. Let's let's get those bad, bad boys right on there. Let's go. I mean, that's... it's actually a situation that Will and uh, I get asked a bunch <laughs> about in regards to the litigation component of it, because there is a there's a problem that like, hey, I've got lots of stuff. It's just in lots of places, right? Yeah. It's like litigation is expensive. So now if you have to find this and look through this e-discovery, you got all these things that are happening. If anybody listening, to yeah, it takes months. Like it, it's crazy. So it if takes you months had, to find all the shit. So if you had a solution that had all the pieces of a project all in one place that you could just say, let me give you all of the uh, exhibits effectively what an attorney would mm-hmm. say all yeah. in one shot. This is all the data. Like the, here is everything that we have. Yes. Uh, the co- just the cost for them to like the searching of them doing it or, or you doing it at that time uh, pays for itself in the tech just in general like that like right. that pays for itself sans the productivity that you add to it so like that's yeah. like separate from that so the right. risk the risk productivity like balance there um, mm-hmm. it, it it just every time it pays for itself as well yeah absolutely so uh, you've made a case for obviously some uh, some aspects of, of technology and kind of like uh safety right safety for yeah. for a while wasn't you know safety now highly regarded 
Everyone does mm-hmm. it, even though it doesn't add to the bottom line, like not directly, but indirectly it does because you don't lose your right. company if you don't mm-hmm. do right. it. So how many companies that you work with have like cybersecurity strategies? Zero. 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 Why do they not think about it? It's not top of mind. And it's not top of mind because nobody has stolen their company information yet. And it won't ever happen until somebody starts thinking about all the different ways that somebody could come in and attack that. Now, this is the downside to tech because people now with tech have access to break in. So again, it's the double-edged sword because they're like, well, I didn't have to worry about cybersecurity when I didn't have technology. It was just my, it could have been just my phone and my notepad and we just went out there and now I've got to have technology to do this and technology to do that. Now somebody broke into my computer and I can't figure it out. So I took it out back with a two by four and beat the shit out of it. I've seen it happen. (laughs) But, you know, cybersecurity is like digital safety, right? It's safety just digital in front of it, right? Uh, It's a shared responsibility. Sure, there are some people that are going to oversee it, but it's a shared responsibility. The reality is, uh, just like with safety, I mean, there might not be OSHA yet for the cybersecurity side, but there are things that that are happening. So uh, in the end, by doing it, you're actually going to be more competitive, even though it looks like an overhead, like uh, another cost, like another insurance thing or or whatever, right? Uh, The reality is going to make you more competitive because... Someone else is going to go out of business if they don't have it. Exactly. So th- think about this. So with all the technology that's been added to equipment, let's let's talk about an excavation company that's working on the road. Everything mm-hmm. is GPS related. So with all of our excavators being GPS related, what happens if somebody happens to hack in to your equipment and starts changing your data on your GPS? I think you're going to do a lot more work. Because you're relying on your GPS. Um, You're either going to do a lot more work that's incorrect because you're relying on the GPS, or somebody's hacked in and now has locked you out until you pay a ransom to actually unlock your your excavating equipment. I've seen it happen where, like, let's just say a very tech-savvy, disgruntled employee knew that there was a hole in the firewall and knew how to access that and knew how to shut people out of their excavating equipment. So now you have excavating equipment that's sitting on site. You're not able to hit your timeline because somebody has locked you out because you pissed somebody off. Now, think of all the ransomware that's going on. Not just a disgruntled employee. It's just somebody randomly found your open firewall, got into your business, started getting into your bank accounts because, oh, you just leave everything on and running. Um, And oh, by the way, they found GPS to your vehicles. They got into your vehicles and now locked them all out. And now they're asking for $2 million to give you the password to unlock everything, but no guarantee. So what do you think really happens there? <laughs> it's like, come on. So and there's a the, need for the cybersecurity. And the huge cost, right? So you talked about yeah. $2 million ransom, but the cost of people, right? The that downtime. is huge there. Mm-hmm. Would have paid for it. 10 times, like you could have paid for 10 years worth of cyber plus, right? And probably prevented even more in that 10 year period. I'm sure the Mm -hmm. amount of fraud that's happening. Look, the industry gets targeted, not because it's highly profitable, but because there are high dollars that are being 
flown around back and forth between the vendors, the subs, mm -hmm. I mean, everything, right? Yes. It's not unusual to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in invoicing or even millions of dollars in invoicing Correct. across multiple different uh, vendors. You've got hundreds of vendors like keeping track of all that. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. So, mm -hmm. and then you're talking about, you know, 2 million, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's just right? a small piece of the pie. That's, that's just exactly. the number that you can, but the people like, they can't even be swinging hammers. If you don't have that GPS, well, either, yeah, they're going to work and then you're going to be doing some rework. Like there's a high risk and a high likelihood that you're going to be doing rework because they don't have it just right the way they should be from the GPS cordis. So yeah, that's absolutely. a great example. And that sucks that, you know, you have to actually see that and experience, you know, see mm -hmm. the company experience that, but that's a real thing. Yeah, it's an absolute real thing. And then when everybody is melting down, just don't know what to do. All the, it consumes the entire company. So now the entire company is trying to is trying to figure out what to do next. What are they not doing? They're not working on the projects and task at hand to actually generate money and revenue for your business because they're handicapped now. They're handcuffed because you didn't invest in cybersecurity. I, I've seen this in manufacturing over and over again as well, where CNC machines get locked out. Okay, it's your high dollar CNC machine. You're no longer going to hit a delivery schedule. Now you're getting fined and you're paying ransomware and you're paying for downtime for all these employees that are just standing around while you figure out what you're going to do. So budget before versus budget after. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you survive, right? Because right. like 50, 60% of companies don't even survive uh, the ransom attacks. And even if they go through ransomware, they don't have, like the only, the data they might get, like I think on average, they, uh, they only get like 60 to 70% of the data back. They didn't mm -hmm. even get all the data back, even though they gave you the right. unlock code, it doesn't work all uh, everywhere. Right. And the smart ones are actually targeting the backup data too. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. They target the backup <laughs> data, which is how they force you to pay right. for, uh, for the ransom. Mm -hmm. And then, well, we don't even want to get into the, all the ancillaries. Do your right. vendors and clients still trust you? Are they going to do business with you uh, again on the next project? Yep. Because that happened. Talk, talk about hiring problem. Well, hey, like I saw this company was hacked. Like I don't necessarily think this is the company I work for because like are all the HR docs that were you know for that company like now also taken all those different things. So this right. is it's a huge it's 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 such a huge um, blow and is so overlooked, which is baffling. But mm -hmm. uh, so do a third party assessment um, for God's sake. Do a third-party assessment. We have one. That's my plug. Uh, and it's real short to do. So get it done by third-party, not by your internal IT or, or or whoever your provider is. Get it done by third-party. Just like having a second opinion when going to the doctors. Mm -hmm. Get it done. It's a lot cheaper than the cost of what it would do uh, if you get ransomed or hacked or whatever. Like those dollar amounts get real big real fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So we talked a bit about technology process and the ownership, right? And the, yep. the mindset around the, uh, and I love that you said mindset matters. I mean, I've got it written on my Yeah, board you got it on here. your board. I see it. So mm -hmm. I'll talk a little bit about failures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we've all had them. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, just real briefly. Um, I don't know if you remember what it was, and if not, I'm sure you will figure it out real quick. 
I'm trying to remember now what we talked about. So, um, just talk out of experience fa- failures. Just talk, just talk out, just talk out of experience. Okay, what happens yeah. uh, or why did it happen? You know, sometimes consulting goes bad, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Why did yeah, it go bad? So, so let's just talk. So personal experience. So when and and it was kind of alluded to a little bit in the in kind of like as we've been talking today about how as business owners when we start out you know we think we're we, we've got everything down like we're going to do everything you know a certain way and then reality hits so you know everybody has a plan to get punched in the face typically those of us that start out in business more often than not most businesses fail let's just that is yeah. i don't know the statistics but the statistics are astronomically high that businesses at within the first three years fail all businesses start out with great intentions, just like when I started out my business with great intentions, right? You get out there, start putting your name out there, and yep, I'm a coach. And what happened over the the first three years? And it took three years because I'm stubborn. Um, I am very headstrong. Was as I was building my business, I over three years I realized, and it was kind of like one day I just kind of like sat back and reflected, hey, how did it get this bad? And I realized my messaging, how people knew me and wanted to purchase my services was people knew me as either a life coach, a sales coach, helps with leadership, helps with operations, career coach. Um, don't really know what he does. I just know he's cool to talk to, has a lot of stories. Okay, cool. But nobody really understood the importance of operations and leadership. And I realized how I was targeting people, who I was targeting, all wrong. And every event or people that I interfaced with knew me as something different. So what ended up happening was all that energy and all that momentum started dropping down. And then you start doubting stuff. And then it's the realization of, okay, do I want this business to survive or not? And I was looking at, okay, my services and what people were after and realized in my market, people wanted more consulting than coaching. Because they had a pain point. Help me fix my pain point now. Downside with coaching is it's going to take a little bit more time. Upside with consulting. Let's go. Let's get after it. I can help you with your pain point. What I had found is I had to change my business from coaching to consulting. And now I actually blend the two because I understand the business. I understand the needs. And as I can blend the two, I can actually teach, coach, and mentor along the way while still accomplishing a defined task at hand. So from a failure standpoint, yeah, there's a lot of suck in the industry from a coaching consulting standpoint. Yeah, you have to embrace the suck. You have to embrace falling down and getting up quite a bit. And how I liken when you start a new business. So being in a business and working in corporate for 20 plus years, you didn't you don't have the entrepreneurial type spirit of, okay, I've got to figure out every step, everything to do in my business. I liken this to a a child or a baby and everybody's all excited to watch their kids run. Like, Oh, I'm going to grow up and watch a kid run. What they don't sit back and analyze is, Hey, when you're a baby or when you're a beginning business owner, you're initially lying on your back and you have to first figure out how to roll over. And it's struggle. You struggle for a long time trying to figure out how to roll over. Then you roll over and you're looking around and you're now you got to push yourself up. And you're watching everybody like walk around on two feet, but yet you're still stuck on your stomach trying to push yourself up. 
Then you get to the point over time where you're able to grab onto the couch and you're able to pull yourself up and everybody cheers like, ooh, and you think you're king shit. And then you take one wobbly step and you fall down. And what does a baby, what does a child do at that point? Do they cry? No. They're determined and held bound to stand back up and try to take the next step. But then they fall down. Do they cry the second time? No. They pull themselves up and they take the next step. They may fall down, but then they may be able to take another step and then they fall down. Over time, after all of those quote unquote failures of falling down, their persistence and resilience to keep going has propelled them to actually take a step and then they start running. And that's what happens in our businesses is when we're young and infantile, like, hey, some of us are able to roll over really quick and we're able to stand up really quick and we're able to run into that brick wall really fast and really hard and it's really great. And other of us takes a little time because we're a little bit more headstrong to roll over, to then sit up, pull ourselves up and then start taking steps and running. So yes, failure, yep, it's great. Be resilient, be persistent. And it happens just like kids every single day that learn how to walk. Love that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Justin, I think it's that time. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we ask everybody this question. Uh, So now we're going to ask you this question. Uh, If you could go back 20 years, that's 2003, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself? At that age... 20 years ago, I was 23. Mm, Good age, you know, good age. 23, 26, somewhere in there. Yeah, so what would I tell myself? Um, I'm going to tell myself to be patient. To learn, there's, it's the patience component that I've now learned to be more patient, allow things to happen. But more importantly, it's more important to help others than it is to help yourself. By helping others, you eventually will help yourself. So those are the two things that I would tell myself. Patience and help others. Those are uh, near and dear to me, so I couldn't agree anymore by any means. So <laughs> help first, uh, yep. for sure. That's no, awesome. Mm-hmm. This has been great. Uh, very, uh, very energetic, very uh, kind of all over. We've, we touched on, <laughs> obviously, people, process, and technology, but also just kind of the inner workings of the coach, the coach slash consultant, uh, just kind of being, uh, and, uh, I loved it. So, uh, thank you so much. Is there anything, uh, we'll throw in your show notes, uh, the social links and all that kind of stuff, but what's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you if they need to? Best way is never email is my phone number 248-885-1358. Send a text, tell me who you are, what the hell you want. Um, that's the number one best way to get a hold of me. Worst way, send me an email. I'll Got see it. it, but I'm always on my phone. <laughs> I, uh, awesome. Uh, well, uh, anything else you want to tell the people before we sign off? No, nah, man, just have fun. Like life is too short. Have fun. Help a motherfucker out. That's it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, uh, to our listeners, I hope you had as good of a time as we did because uh, we had a blast. And until next time, adios. Adios. Later. Thanks for listening to Building Scale to help us reach even more people. Please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. 
So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep building building scale. scale.